This episode of Talk Your Book is proudly brought to you by Honan, providing a complete range of insurance, risk, and financial solutions. Bundy's called me up, told me to take a look, but stay stubborn as bulls and talk their own book. Get the money, get the money, get, get the money. Well, Tom Lambeth from BP Capital, mate, great to have you back on uh, on Talk Your Book. We'll get into your stock pick in a second, but maybe just talk us through a little bit about BP Capital, what you guys look to invest in and, and how you guys have been going over the last 12 months. Uh, thanks, Chris, and pleased to be back. Um, so VP Capital's a, a fund... Uh, fund manager, which was started three and a bit years ago um, by myself and, and one other fellow uh, predominantly. Um, it's IRR over time has been 24% per annum uh, since inception. So it's, it's very nice. We, we predominantly look at small to mid-cap equities, but we've got a very sort of opportunistic approach. So um, we can do long, we can do short. Um, basically anything that makes money, um, we'll look at. And what stock do you want to talk about today? A stock called Prosper. Um, as distinct from Prosper, which is um, some viewers may be familiar with, which is the US-based Silicon Valley peer-to-peer lender. This is Prosper, the Australian ASX-listed company founded in 2012. And give me the helicopter view of Prosper and what their business model looks like. Yeah, sure. So Prosper are, I guess, a part of this emerging trend that we've seen over the past you know, 10 to 15 years, which is um, neo-lenders, they call themselves. Um, Prosper's business is lending to small businesses in Australia. And what they look for is businesses, you know, generally with turnover more than $50,000 per year. And, you know, they've been relatively successful in, in growing their business um, over the past nine years. Um, they listed a few years ago uh, at, a, at a much higher share price than it is today. Um, but, you know, put simply, it's, it's lending to mum and mum and dad businesses you know hairdressers um trades uh consultancy businesses hospitality um their book's pretty diversified across sector and geography and where do they get their funding from yeah so most of the funding is by a securitization facility so it's all off balance sheet which which we like um which means that the the lenders or the funders to prosperous business have limited recourse to prosper headco um, and that's all in a, in a facility which is backed by um, banks and, and larger investors, but um, certainly some onshore banks and some offshore banks would, would look at it. And you mentioned the typical customers, sort of a mum and dad type business. Do they usually come and get one loan, pay it back and that's it, or are they usually repeat customers? Look, a large percentage of their customers are repeat, uh, more than half, uh, we believe. It, it's, uh, it's the type of business which... Um, you know, lends itself to building relationships over time. So you would expect um, a large repeat customer, but also, um, you know, their growth is, is also driven by winning new customers. So I think it's roughly half-half um, if you look at the, the growth numbers. They've got a really high net promoter score, don't they? Is that something you find a, a relevant data point or do you do that a bit wishy-washy? Uh, look, it's probably a little bit wishy-washy for us, but look... You know, some, some people do believe in, in just breaking, breaking down the basics and looking at, um, you know, customer love and which feeds into unit economics. And um, we know that it's been spoken about a lot with Afterpay, for instance. So um, I'm not completely dismissive of it, but the reason why we like this business is, is not because of the net promoter score. It's because of um, more fundamental um, kind of tangible reasons, which we're going to speak about. 
and they got smacked around in COVID a bit. Talk me through what happened to their business during COVID and particularly through the lockdowns, both nationwide and, and later on in Melbourne, and uh, maybe what originations look like now after going through that tough trough. Yeah, sure. So what happened is they moved pretty quickly and what you saw is a reduction in, in gross loans written in 2020 and as you expect. Um, the consequence of that was, you know, I guess growth dropped off, but equally your, your cash flows um, were very healthy. So what you're left with was, was a book that was spinning off cash um, and without any kind of reinvestment into into growing the loan book, um, you know, they, they cash flowed from operations. I think they made more than $30 million in FY20, which was very healthy. Um, by the way, the enterprise value is 50, so which puts it in perspective. Mm. Um, you know, so so then post-COVID, we saw obviously, a, you know, I guess, a bit more risk appetite. Um, they did, you know, probably a bit conservative, they over-provisioned, over we think, in, in, um, in 2020, I think around 10% of their receivables uh, are booked as um, likely bad debts, um, which we think is, is too high. What uh, do you think that's closer to? Well, I think if you look at the business over the last nine years, it's, it's been around 5%. The board have a target of between four and six. Um, we think that given the macro backdrop, we think it's likely to be in that range. And you know, so I think there's, that's kind of a catalyst for us, which is one of the reasons we like it. But, but coming out of COVID, they've you know, managed to, um, I guess, steer the business back to writing more loans and we expect that to continue. So they're, right now they're kind of back where they were almost from an origination perspective. And what other data points in a business like this do you, do you really dig into? The valuation for us and versus the growth um, just at a high level, you know, this is a business that was growing at 30% plus in 2018 and revenue growth and even higher before then. So, you know, if you, if you break it down and say, well, can they get to back to that level? Because um, the problem is I think the markets penalise it by maybe a perception of being X growth, which mm. I guess it has been in the last 12 months. But if you, if you believe you can get back to 30% plus, um, now keep in mind there are a million small businesses in Australia which they target out of a you know, total of around 2 million. Um, so the, the addressable market's massive. And if you say the average you know, loan size is you know, 20K, um, yeah, it's a $20 billion market. And so they're, they're less than 1, 1% penetrated, in other words. So, you know, we think that there's enough runway for them to, to grow their book um, and grow revenue. Um, that's what we look for. So we're, we're looking for a return to growth, um, a return to, you know, active customer growth and revenue growth. Um, and we think that, you know, the valuation, which I mentioned is, you know, 140 of market cap, um, 90 of cash gives you 50 enterprise value. I think it's very cheap. And so you mentioned also before you touched on Afterpay and their, their wild success in the buy now, pay later market. And if you look at Afterpay, that success was really born out of incredibly high credit card fees that the banks were charging and that opened up an opportunity for them. When you look at uh, commercial banks in Australia, they've, they've been reticent to lend for, for non-home loans really since the GFC. Do you think that's opened up an opportunity for for groups like Prosper that can now exploit that and, and really take that market share away from the banks in this space? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's probably two reasons why Prosper has been able to capture some of this market. The first is, you know, they have a probably a tech advantage versus the banks. Um, you know, they're, they're nimble. Their process is 
you know, probably more developed and, and simpler. Um, so I think it, you know, often a, a, a potential borrower can get approved within, you know, hours, um, not, not days and weeks uh, with the bank. Um, the second reason is, you know, one of the, the banks not incentivized to go after this market because of the, the capital adequacy rule. So it's easier to write a mortgage where I have to pledge, you know, less equity capital against that mortgage versus, you know, pledging equity capital against an SME loan. So um, the rules and the structure of the system don't incentivize the banks, put simply, and, and that's always left a a massive hole um, in the market where, where you know, as you've seen in the last nine to 10 years, um, you know, other lenders like Afterpay and in this particular sector prosper as, as, uh, as filled. And in terms of maybe what's viewed as good debt for society and bad debt, like debt that is being provided by Prosper is largely productive debt. It's going into employing people and growing the economy more broadly and, and I guess should be viewed more favourably than debt that's just provided to people who are buying a, a second investment home. Do you think there's the, the potential for the government to really get behind groups like Prosper because this is sort of the, the, the lending that really goes to growing employment opportunities and, and growing the, the GDP even economy? Yeah, I think that's right. There, there are two sides of the coin here. I think, you know, Prosper say that there's a, a four times money multiplier on, on their on their lending, um, which is, that's to say that, you know, a dollar lent gets you $4 of GDP. Um, you know, so from a government perspective and a broader society perspective, that, that should be a net positive um, as, you, as you imply. I think, you know, the other way to look at it is, you know, they, they do need to be careful in, I guess, some of the, you know, there are some groups which argue the interest rates are too high. And, you know, if you look at their net interest margins, they are pretty fat. Um, you know, your, your rates can go as high as kind of 30%. Um, you know, it's not arguably, you know, a deal's a deal. It's not necessarily predatory, but um, they need to watch that aspect of their business to make sure, um, you know, they're not, not sort of acting irresponsibly, I think. Could you see a change to their business model or the way they calculate the interest like some of those consumer buy now, pay later lenders have done where it's not so, doesn't become such a debt spiral for the businesses that, that take on that debt? Look, not at this point. I know they were, uh, you know, subject to an inquiry um, a few years back, um, you know, around the time of the Royal Commission, and they did satisfy um, the the powers that be, the regulatory bodies that, you know, they weren't predatory lending, and particularly, I think, with some of the, the late fees that they were applying, um, there were, I think there were some adjustments to that, Chris. So, no, look, our view is there's no risk there in in the short term, um, but just something to watch. And I know you've got a keen eye on the macro uh, outlook as well. How do you view a steepening or a potentially steepening yield curve impacting a business like this? Yeah, well, firstly, on the, on the macro outlook, it's, it's the other reason we like this business. I think if you look at um, you know, consumer confidence, it's cyclically high. You've got household savings rates are also very high. Um, interest rates are obviously very low. And so that macro backdrop coming out of, you know, a lockdown, I think it's going to be there for the short to medium term. So it's actually the time of the cycle you want to own a business like this, you know, unsecured lender. Um, so that's kind of a big tick in, in our view in the short to medium term. The, the yield curve, you know, your point about that, um, look, I think, I think yes, but 
you've got. I mean, most of the margin is is based on on credit risk, and it's not it's not. Um, Margin's already big enough by the sound yeah. of things without trying to in- increase it from a yield curve perspective. That's, that's right. That's right. If you look at it, you know, the yield, if your base rate goes up by, you know, one or two percent as a percentage of your total, um, you know, net margin, it's, it's not not massive compared to, say, a bank. A bank is going to be a, a bigger beneficiary, I think, if um, yield curve changes. And so what happens with these sorts of, sorts of businesses? There's a lot of them floating around that are listed at the minute. Do you see consolidation to some of the some of the banks decide to pick some of them off and, and get some of that, that expertise back in-house? What do you think plays out for the industry from here? Look, possibly. You never know with m and um, I mean, you kind of look like a fool trying to guess um, mm. most of the time. Um, yeah, our view is there's enough organic growth for Prosper and Co just to keep growing. Um, as to where the banks get, you know, get into the set, I mean, keep in mind the banks are investors in the securitisation facility. And so, you know, they're getting you know, 5.5% on their money. Um, yeah, so you can argue they're somewhat involved anyway. Um, whether they want to own the equity is probably a different story. Um, and there's I a guess, reason why they're not doing these in, these sort of loans in the first place, as you touched on, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not economic for them. The, the opportunity cost of doing SME lending is high. I mean, you could just focus on mortgages. This is a, um, this is a bit of a broad-ranging question, and it's off-topic a little bit, but... Do you ever see a world where there are mandated different interest rates for different things? So whereby a first homeowner, the government will mandate they get a 0% interest rate for the first three years of their home loan. If it's a business lending for productive debt purposes, they get a subsidised interest rate. And it is, and if someone's getting a loan for non-productive debt, e.g. A second, a second investment house, they're mandated to pay a higher rate. Do you think a world's going to exist in our lifetime where these sorts of interest rate policies get implemented? Possibly. Um, the problem with doing executing something like this is has always been, um, you know, I guess the execution part of it. How do you stop someone from rotting the system? You know, like I can, what's to say my business is not productive versus the next guy? And yeah, you know, maybe I'm a first home buyer if I can if I can you know prove it um, from a documentation perspective. And it's. So that these have always been the problems with um, enlarging um, bureaucracy and making making more complicated systems. I think if you could uh, if you could somehow you know delineate that on a micro scale, then then possibly. Um, I mean, I know some people in the crypto space have been talking about that um, as a as a some of the possible benefits of, of crypto. Um, you know, the, the tokenization of the world. Um, but you know, we don't factor that into our into our view. On, on Prosper, of course. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm trying to reduce the amount I speak about crypto, Tommy, so I won't go down that rabbit hole with you. But, uh, mate, thanks very much for coming on. It's a, uh, it's a brilliant thesis as always and, and really appreciate you giving us some of your time. Thanks, CJ. This episode of Talk Your Book was proudly brought to you by Honan, who go beyond a transactional insurance broker to deliver better outcomes for their clients. If you're enjoying Talk Your Book, make sure you subscribe to Chris Judd Invest. Nothing you hear today should be considered investment advice. Please do your own research and seek out your own financial advisor before committing any capital to these markets.